Well, if you haven't yet, please open your Bibles to Acts 2. Uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to kind of be launching off of verses uh, 36 to 39, as Emily read for us. And this morning, as Thomas mentioned, we are celebrating the baptism of six young believers. And so I thought this morning it would be good to spend some time in the message reflecting on this question, why do Christians baptize? Well, why did the Apostle Peter in Acts 2 say, repent and be baptized? Well, or more so, why did Jesus, when he commanded us to go into the world and make disciples, did he command us to baptize those disciples? Why do Christians get people wet <laughs> as part of our faith? Well, well, in some ways, what we do in baptism isn't unusual at all. It's, it's not unusual to mark particular moments with celebration and ceremony. We do this with things like graduations or weddings, and, and some of you have been a part of those even this summer. It's also not unusual to mark the initiation of people into membership in a particular group. Many different groups do this, whether it be honor societies or social clubs or even those of you that are in the military, you've gone through such a ceremony. So in many ways, what we do this morning is not unusual. At the same time, what we're doing this morning is incredibly unusual because baptism is a unique and distinct celebration unlike any other. And so it's very important we understand what we're doing and why we are doing this. And so for those of you this morning here that wouldn't profess faith in Christ, and are really unfamiliar with the practice of baptism, my hope for you this morning is that you hear what baptism means and it provokes questions and it intrigues you. For, for those of you that are here and, and do profess faith and, and maybe have been baptized, I want to strengthen you in your understanding of what baptism means and encourage you to recognize that baptism isn't just sort of this one-time moment thing that happens and you sort of move on, but no, baptism is actually an integral part of your walk with Jesus. And so in answering the question, why do we baptize, I want to look at two points for us. One, what baptism is, and two, what baptism declares. So first, let's consider what, what baptism is. What, what is baptism? Well, to understand what baptism is, we have to understand this about our salvation in Christ. It's a covenant. It's a promise. Salvation in Christ is a promise, is a covenant God makes with his people. Peter makes this clear in Acts 2, 38 and 39. This is what he says, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. The promise, that the covenant, the, the promise God makes, the forgiveness of sins, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That This is the covenant that God makes with those who put their faith in him. This is the covenant God makes with his people. And so for those who have turned from their sin, who have repented of their sin and turned to Christ and put their faith in Jesus, here's God's unshakable, unbreakable promise to you. He will forgive your sins. He will forgive all your guilt. And he will give you his Holy Spirit, to dwell in your very body. This is what we, we saw last week in 1 Corinthians. And so here's the, the hope for us, is that our salvation, our salvation is sure because God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. He makes promises and he keeps them. And the promises he makes, he will fulfill. And what he does cannot be undone. This is our salvation, church. This is the hope that we have. And when God makes a covenant with his people, 
He also gives sacraments, which are signs and seals. And these signs and seals are meant to do a couple things. One, they're meant to help us better understand God's promise. They're meant to assure us of the faithfulness of God's promise. And they're also meant to be a, a moment where we confess and confirm our belief in God's promises. And the use of sign and seals in covenants is not unusual. You think about weddings, marriage. Those of you that are married, when you stood before your spouse and made a covenant with them, you gave them a ring. And that ring is a sign of the promise that you were making. As a ring is an unbroken, never-ending circle, you are promising to your spouse an unbroken, never-ending commitment and devotion to them. And so we give signs as a way to signify a covenant that we're making. But it's not just a sign, it's also a seal. When you give the ring to your spouse, you're saying, hey, this promise I'm making is real. I'm not just half-heartedly saying it or kind of saying it. It wasn't something you just sort of dreamed up in your head and thought I was saying. No, this is something that is sure and standing. It's a seal to say that this covenant is real. Signs and seals. And God does the same thing with his people. And we see this all throughout scripture. In the Old Testament, when God makes a covenant with Abraham, he, make, he makes this promise to Abraham. He says, Abraham, look, if you put your faith in me, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to make you a great nation. I am going to give you countless descendants. And not only that, great kings are going to come from you. There, there are going to be great people that come from you. And I am going to bless those that bless you. And in fact, through you, the entire world, every nation is going to be blessed. And here's the essence of this promise I'm making to you, Abraham. I will be your God, and I will be a God to your kids. I will be a God to your descendants. And in giving that covenant, he gives a sign and seal to Abraham. He instructs Abraham, hey, circumcise yourself and circumcise your male descendants. Here's what we read in Genesis 17. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And this is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenants between me and you. And so in this sign, there is meaning. The sign of circumcision had meaning. On the one hand, circumcising the male descendants was pointing to this promise that one day there's going to be a male descendant and through that male descendant, all the nations are going to be blessed. And it was also a sign of judgment. The cutting away of the skin was also this, this sign that, hey, those who reject God's promise will be cut off and cut away. And so in the sign of circumcision, here's what God was saying. I'm declaring this promise to you, that, that I am faithful to keep my promise. And in, in turn, Abraham was saying, by circumcising myself and my male descendants, I believe this promise. I am taking on this promise. I'm submitting to you, God, as the Lord. Now, here's a question. Why give sign and seals? Why do this kind of thing? Because here's what we recognize. We don't just communicate through words. We don't just communicate promise through words and, and moments of affection through words. We also use things like eye contact, and we use body language, and we use signs, and we use symbols. 
And, and all of these sort of extra verbal things, what do they do? They confirm on our heart what was spoken. They strengthen us in what was spoken. And so God doesn't just speak words to Abraham. He also gives him signs and images because in those days of doubts and conflict and struggle, he can say, hey, Abraham, when you, when, you, when you are sort of forgetting the words that I have spoken and you're doubting those words or, or maybe those words aren't landing as strongly as they should have, here's a sign for you. Here's a, here's a sign that you have in your very body that my promises are true. God gives signs and seals to his people and in the words of Peter. In, in Acts 2, the language that Peter uses shows us that the promise to Abraham and his descendants was carried forward and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Here is the, the great message of the gospel that Jesus Christ is the descendant. He is the promised descendant of Abraham. He is the king that came from Abraham and was in the line of David. He is the one that through whom all people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation can be blessed. As Galatians 3 tells us, those who put their faith in Christ are children of Abraham. And as children of Abraham, we're under this promise that God has made. I will be your God and you will be my people. This is the incredible promise that you have if you are in Jesus Christ. You are a son, you're a daughter, and God says, I'm your God. We as the church have this incredible promise together. God is our God and we are his people. Our sins have been forgiven and God has given us the Holy Spirit. And so when Peter says, repent and be baptized, here's what he's saying. He's saying, believe God's promise that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and take on yourself, take on the sign of this covenant as you profess faith before others. But in the new covenant, the sign isn't circumcision. It's not circumcision, it's baptism. And now baptism shows up all over scripture. It's both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, baptism is sort of secondary and in the background. But in the New Testament, it takes the forefront. It is the primary sign of the covenants. Why? Because in many ways, the sign of circumcision has been fulfilled. The male descendant has come. Jesus Christ has come. And he's taken our punishment that we deserve to save us. And so now a new sign is given to us. And in this sign, we have a picture as water washes and cleanses our physical bodies from dirt. The water of baptism signifies the promise that in Christ our souls are washed clean from sin. And this is how theologian Herman Bobbing puts it. What dirt, polluting, choking dirt is to the body. Have you ever been so dirty, so muddy that you feel like your body is being constrained? That kind of dirt, that is what sin is to the soul. And just as water washes away dirt from the body, so the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sins. The, the water of baptism signifies what the blood of Jesus has done in washing us clean and paying for our sins. The waters of baptism signify the great salvation we have in Christ. But they also signify judgment. The, the, the great flood in the book of Genesis, is called a kind of baptism in 1 Peter 3. And so that flood cleansed the earth from sin, but it was also the way that Noah and his family were saved. And in 1 Corinthians 10, when Israel walked through the Red Sea, it's also kind, called a kind of baptism. As they walked through, it was signifying that the people of God were being washed clean from their sin as those waters of judgment also fell on the Egyptians. And so in baptism, we see not only that we've been washed. 
We've been cleansed. We've also passed through judgment. Christ has taken our judgment. Our sin, its corruption, and the guilt have all been washed away. This is what the water of baptism signifies for us. And so what is baptism? It's a sign and seal of the great promise of the gospel that those who put their faith in Jesus have their, this, the corruption of sin and the guilt of sin washed away. And they are given the Holy Spirit and he renews them. God marks on our bodies. He, he touches us, as it were, with the promises that he speaks in his word. Or as Thomas Watson puts it, in the scriptures we hear the Father's voice. In baptism we feel the Father's kiss. Now, God has marked you. This is what baptism is. This is what baptism is meant to be to those who are in Christ. And so with that understanding of what baptism is, let's consider all that baptism declares. Because the promises that are declared in the gospel are great and glorious and abundant. And when I say hey, let's consider what baptism declares. Here, here's what I want to do. I, I want to focus on an aspect of baptism that sadly is often overlooked and even sometimes neglected in the ways that Christians can talk about baptism. And here's what I mean. But let me ask this question. Who's speaking in baptism? Who, who is speaking in this ceremony? Now, for those that are getting baptized this morning, we have, we have six young Christians that are getting baptized, and it, 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 there's this glorious moment. And I think for a lot of Christians, we say, well, they're coming forward to profess their faith, and so they're declaring, they're speaking here in baptism. And that is true. Baptism is a public sacrament, and a public ceremony where we're marking confession and those who are being welcomed in to the community of the church. However, however, and this is so important, as we saw what the meaning of baptism points us to, who is primarily speaking is not the person getting baptized, but God. Baptism, first and foremost, is not about what you're saying to other people, but what God is saying to you. Not that you're declaring your faith as much as it is that, but God is declaring his promises that I am a promise-making, promise-keeping God. If you put your trust in me, here is what I will do to you. God is speaking. God is declaring something in baptism. So yes, those of you getting baptized this morning, you are going to profess your faith. But more than that, God is saying something to you. He's declaring his promises to you that you can trust him and put your faith in him. And what all does your baptism declare? Well, your baptism declares the promise of Ezekiel 36 that God will sprinkle you with clean water, that he'll cleanse you from all your impurities, that he's going to cleanse you from your idols, that he's going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, that God will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, that he's going to place his spirit within you and cause you to follow his statutes and his ordinances. Your baptism declares you've been washed clean. That heart that used to chase after idols, God has given you a new heart. That heart that can so frustrate you because of, of sin, well, God has given you a new heart. He's given you a, his spirit, and you can walk in righteousness. This is what baptism declares to you. Your baptism also declares, as Romans 6, 3, and 4 says, that you've been baptized into Christ Jesus' death. Just as Jesus was buried, you have been buried into his death in baptism in order that just as Christ was raised to new life, you now walk in newness of life. Your baptism declares this, 
Christ took your sin and buried it and left it in the grave. Christ has killed your sin and you have, its power has been broken. Your baptism also declares that you've been resurrected to new life in Christ. You have power now to walk in righteousness, to follow God, to please him. Your baptism declares what Christ has done on your behalf and what is true of you now. Your baptism also declares you have a greater identity. As Galatians 3 says, for those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you all are one in Christ Jesus. In baptism, God declares you're mine. You are mine. Jesus declares you have been united to me. You see, we, we like to chase after so many other identities. We'll put our identity in our education or in our family, in our accomplishments, in our, in our performance. But what baptism declares is your greatest identity is not in those things, but in Christ, that you belong to God. Christians, the thing that most marks you, that most identifies you, that most defines you, is your baptism. Because your baptism declares you've been clothed in Christ. Finally, your baptism declares that you have been baptized by the Spirit and you've been baptized into one body, the church. As 1 Corinthians 12 says, for we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. Over and over and over we see this, the baptism points to this truth. You've been given the Spirit. The, 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 the bapti water baptism signifies an even greater baptism, which is the Spirit who has baptized you and has grabbed hold of your heart and transformed your heart. And the seal of baptism actually points to the seal, the assurance of our salvation, which is the Spirit, as Ephesians 1 tells us. Your baptism not only declares that you have been united to Christ and been baptized by the Spirit, but you've also been united to Christ's body. Here's what your baptism tells you. You're not alone. You're not alone. You've been brought into a family. You have a family. You belong to God and God's people. And so your baptism tells you, you are never alone. Friends, the promises that our baptism declares certainly are abundant. They're great and they're glorious. And so in light of that, in light of these declarations, Let's take the encouragement of the great reformer Martin Luther and remember our baptism. Let, let our lives as we walk with Christ be remembering our baptism. Because look, your baptism isn't just something that happens once and then you sort of go, oh, that was cool. I got a picture. I got a baptism certificate. And sort of I just walk away from that. No, as those who are married take their rings and, and they carry them with them, we carry our baptism wherever we go. We take our baptism as we follow Jesus. And so friends, I want to encourage you, remember your baptism. In times of temptation, in times of struggle, in times of sin and suffering, remember your baptism and that God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to save and to cleanse and to transform. Well, there's this uh, great hymn that we often sing at First City, uh, Come Thou Fount. And, and at, towards the end of that hymn, there's this crying out of, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And I think we can all relate to that struggle. Man, we know how our hearts are. 
We know that our hearts can get tangled up in sin and in our pain and in our mess, and, and we can feel ourselves wandering from the Lord. And so in, in that moment of, of like, Lord, I just feel like I'm going to wander, there's this other part of the song that says, here's my heart, take and seal it, seal it for your courts above. It's the sense, God, grab my heart, take it, seal it. I need your power because if your power doesn't keep me, I'm going to wander. Friends, in baptism, we're reminded that God has sealed your heart. The, what is signified in baptism is that God has sealed your heart for his courts above. And so remember your baptism when you are struggling, when you are weak, when you are weary, when it seems as if you've forgotten God's promises. Remember your baptism and remember he is faithful. Remember your baptism because God has marked you as his very own. Remember your baptism because in your baptism, God has declared, I am faithful to save. I am a covenant-making, promise-keeping God, and I am faithful. In your baptism, God has declared, I've washed you clean. I have forgiven you all of your sins, all of your guilt, all of that corruption. In your baptism, you be reminded that I have united you to my son. I have given you my spirits. You are mine. I am your God. You are my son, my daughter. You are my people. This is what we remember in baptism. So let us remember our baptism. Be strengthened, be encouraged. Stand in the promise of your baptism. And friends, let's, let's also call others to remember their baptism. When, when they're struggling with doubt, when they're struggling with sin, when there's suffering, when, they, when there's, it seems that they, they've lost sight of God's incredible promise, remind them, hey, God has marked you. God has marked you and he's claimed you. His promises are sure. When we have friends that are wandering and straying into sin, remind them of their baptism. Remind them of the profession that they made. Remind them that God has marked them and they're not their own, but they belong to him as you encourage them to repent and turn to Christ. You know, as I was reflecting on this message this past week, it actually, it sort of hit me. I don't think we lean into our baptism as much as we should. As Christians, I think we, we sort of minimize the power and the, the purpose and the meaning of our baptism and, and how God gave it to us to strengthen us in our walk with Christ. And, and, and so I want actually this morning to sort of mark a new sort of time in, the, in First City as we, we think about what it means to encourage and disciple one another. I want this to, to be a morning where we start to add the language of remember your baptism to our culture as a church. Uh, you know, one of the things that I am so thankful for is that when it comes to discipleship and encouragement, that this community starts with scripture. Well, God, God's word is our foundation. God's word is our power. And we start there. But here's also what we do. We also, hey, here's a great book. Here's a great article. Here's a great resource. And, and those things are great. Keep doing that. But what we don't do is remember your baptism. Remember the very sign and seal God has given to you to strengthen and encourage you. And so First City Church, can we commit to adding this to our language? Can we commit to saying, okay, God's word and articles and other resources, yes, but before that, God's word and your baptism. Let me point you to the vows, so to speak, in God's word. But let me also point you to the ring, the sign, that the tangible mark that God has said, my promises are sure and you can trust in me. Let's remember our baptism, church. So as we celebrate, as we celebrate, 
We're celebrating the, the work that God has done in the heart of these six young believers. We're celebrating that they're standing in front of a group of people saying, I belong to Jesus. I believe these promises. I, I count myself among the church. I count myself as a disciple of Jesus. We celebrate that. But more than that, we celebrate this. God has said, you're mine. This morning, I'm marking you. I'm signing and I'm sealing your faith to remind you I'm a faithful God, faithful to save, faithful to renew, faithful to carry you all the way to the end and complete the work I started. This, excuse me, this morning, let us remember our baptism in order to remember that God is faithful. This, church, is why we baptize.